how can you be happy when you carry unforgiveness? How, how could you wake up every day with a grudge of some sort towards your circumstances or a person or employer or, you know, anything just like the, against the weather? I mean, how many people are psychologically impacted by the weather? You, you have a grudge because you look out the window and it's cloudy and it, it, it affects your mood, right? <clears throat> and I, I, I know a lot of people try to be happy, but it's trying to be happy is more of an indication of not being happy. And I know last week's conversation on bullies didn't record, so... It, it kind of relates, though, to the fact that not only do all these unresolved issues, all this unforgiveness, um, it, not only does it result in a grudge in general, but it, it ends up becoming a projection against people or a barrier that makes you emotionally unavailable to people. So I went. I went down this road and I thought, you know, Jesus on the cross, he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And he he talked about forgiving and having mercy and the same amount of mercy that you give will come back to you. And it's like a mirror. I mean, we wonder why sometimes we're not feeling happy we don't quite understand it but i'm willing to always bet that our unhappiness could be traced back to some kind of a grudge against somebody else or or even our ourself or our circumstances something that ties into forgiveness whatever it is that's causing people to not feel 100 percent could tie back somehow into unforgiveness. And uh, so this lady said, you should go sit with all of these feelings, you know, and pray or meditate or whatever you do. And she said, explore all those things and find forgiveness of your, for yourself and for, you know, things that are haunting you. And uh, so I, I look at the most unhappy people in my life and they all, some of their, some of them had such obvious grudges. And <clears throat> that's, you know, something that I feel like I feel like forgiveness is so important. People say forgiveness is more about you than it is about other people because it sets you free. And then this lady was like, I mean, obviously you need to be reminded, but I mean, I've heard this before, but she said, just because you forgive people doesn't mean they have to stay in your life. And You know, for me, it's like, I feel like there are some family members and 
people in my life that may not be healthy for me to be around not permanently but just right now so i feel like i forgive them and i love them and i understand what they're going through but the guilt that i feel sometimes of not wanting to be in their presence that's something that needs to be forgiven because i shouldn't feel guilty you don't have to have people in your life you know be best for you maybe it's your own weakness that that demands a not be in your life maybe it's your own weakness that causes you to not be able to handle some of the anxiety or the drama or the pain or things that that are unhealthy so feelings that are unhealthy so there's a lot of people right now that aren't in my life. People who've just drifted away or I've drifted. And so I need to, you know, kind of get rid of all that guilt and, and deal with that. But <clears throat> that's kind of a, uh, some of this came from a, a chat on a, we have an adult group that uh, at the roller rink and some fights broke out on Monday night, which I wasn't there, but they were talking about how some of these kids were acting like gangsters and being bullies and, and a couple of the adults even got shoved and the police showed up in the parking lot, and and it's funny how I made a couple of comments about how some of these kids are just projecting their own pain, and you know you have like half of the group of adults saying, "Well, they're thugs, and they don't belong at the you know in the roller rink," and they had this like you know, anger. And, and uh, then the other half were very commending. They were like, yeah, maybe we could do something to be a positive influence on these kids. Maybe we can, uh, you know, help them. But again, it goes back to forgiveness. For some reason, half of these folks couldn't get past the behavior to see the story behind the story and why maybe some of these kids acted the way they acted they couldn't forgive these kids. And I, I think that's where they'll, they, they can never help these. They can never help these kids who are, who are bullies if they can't forgive them. or, you know, similar to like the civil rights movement, you know, imagine if we were still at war, if, if there was still segregation in our country because one party couldn't forgive the other, we'd continuously be stuck in you know in the 60s or the 50s you know if, if nobody could forgive and uh, so it all just kind of tied in that's I was just thinking about um, about all of that 
So did you sit there's there? I mean, there's so much discussion. There's so many things, but so did you sit with your feelings and prayer meditate or anything? Oh, uh, what was that? Uh, she had encouraged you to sit with those feelings or pray or meditate this week. Did you have a chance to do that? Did you, did you try that? <laughs> that was yesterday. That oh. was like, at the, that was like very, at the very end of the day. And, uh, yeah. So, but after I got off the call, my sales manager made a joke and he, he, he said, uh, so is that how you sell to a spiritual person? You metamorph and you know, you do your metamorphosis into a spiritual person and he made a joke <laughs> about it. And I, started, I started laughing and I said, I just love people like that. And and uh I love stories. I love stories. At one point I told this woman, I said, I stopped reading the Bible a long time ago because I got to the point where I was like, I want to hear other people's stories. This book has a lot of great stories that are very influencing, but I want to hear other people's stories. I want to, I said, I, I even want to join. A, I told my, my boss this, I said, there's a storytellers club here in Arizona. And I, I've, I've heard a couple of people, the people on NPR is telling this, these stories about their life and they're such amazing storytellers and you end up with goosebumps and tears sometimes. And all of a sudden him and I connected and he said, he started suggesting, you know, a couple of podcasts and things where people tell stories and, and I, you know, it's, it's really weird when you discover somebody has a lot in common with you like that. And then him and I talked about how I said, sometimes I'll be listening to, to NPR and there'll be some biography on, they'll be interviewing somebody and they're telling a, st a story about some heartache, you know, they've been through in their life and uh, I'll sit in the driveway and I can't even get out of the car. And then I, I laughed and I said, sometimes I got to wipe the tears off my cheeks so that I don't, you know, embarrass myself when I walk in the house and my, my kids won't get concerned and say, Dad, what's wrong? Why are you crying? You know, and then he goes, do you know that there's a look it up? He's like, it's NPR driveway moments. And I thought he was joking. I'm like, and he sends me a link in my email <laughs> and there's like all these stories. It's like called driveway moments. People who couldn't get out of their car because they were so touched by somebody else's story. But I mean, look at all those movies about racism that, you know, sometimes they have sports, football, basketball, tons of movies. And, and, uh, very, much the you know under the theme of forgiveness i mean look at racism as a form of bullying same thing it's ties into fear unforgiveness and uh, i just look at it like uh 
give people the chance to tell their story, look at the world through their eyes, walk in their shoes and forgiveness will come naturally when you just understand what, what people have been through, even the harshest of bullies. I've known prison people that are prison officers and you know, when you work in a prison day after day after day after day after day, eventually you have a choice. You could either you know, mess with these prisoners or you could eventually listen, you know, or catch catch a story, you know, just overhear it or something. But eventually a lot of prison officers start to get to know the prisoners, some of the prisoners and some of the worst offenders, violent crime, things that would be really hard to get past to, to forgive. You know, you find these prison officers making friends with people you would never, ever think they could ever be a friend, you know, of, I mean, it's incredible. And how could you do that without forgiving somebody? And how could you forgive somebody who is so guilty of some of the worst most violent, violent offenses. I mean, it's the story, man. And then, and then, um, near death experiences, read some of those. You, you read the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, across the board. There's this light, and suddenly you see your life in perfect clarity and you understand not only understand those who've done you wrong, but you understand the, the meaning and the reason behind every wrong that you committed. You can see like everything that you can connect all the dots. And, you know, there's this grieving in some cases where, you actually are sad for your own self, for your own story, for your own life and how you lived. Kind of like that. In the Bible, they call it the Bema seat when you're standing before God. And and the Bema seat is, you know, when your life is kind of laid out in front of you and you get to see what matters and what doesn't, what, what burns up, what, what, you know, was meaningless maybe how you wasted your time. But it's so much deeper in these near-death experiences because you actually see why. You don't just see the whole, you're bad and you did all this and it was wrong. And here's, you see the why behind it. And then you're, you have the opportunity to even, even grieve for yourself, even have compassion on yourself, even for your own wrongs that you committed in your life, which... I mean, if God could forgive some of the worst offenses, why couldn't we? And, and even our own worst offenses that we've committed. And it's necessary. It's necessary because you'll become a bully. You'll, you'll, these things will become the barriers between you and other people. If you don't forgive, and if you carry that, it becomes a barrier. It becomes the emotional distance. It becomes what separates you right what do they call sin 
Sin is separation, right? And how can you eliminate that separation other than by forgiveness? So all that separates us from each other, even the people we love the most in our life that need us to be emotionally available to them, how can we close the gap, the separation? There's got to be something to forgive. That, that's the barrier in between. And how else are you going to discover that if you don't get away and spend time with yourself and, you know, in prayer, examine yourself and look at the, the plank in your own eye that's creating the emotional distance from those who are all around you, right? Because you can't even see their <laughs> heart, right? How can you see somebody's heart when you have a plank in your own eye? And then you're going to go around because you're blind, pointing out the speck in everybody else's eye. And that is the bully. The bully is the one pointing out the speck in everybody's eye and mocking it. And it's just incredible how all of this just ties together. And also, it kind of exposes everybody. It gives us all something to deal with. <laughs> it's like, wow, I got a lot of work to do. I don't have a right to go judge anybody. You know, if I can't wake up happy every day because I've got some kind of a grudge and some, some grudges that I don't even know about, I haven't even gone deep enough into my own self to see those grudges. Or there's something in myself I haven't forgiven. And, and, and I haven't even figured out what it is yet. <laughs> That's what psychologists get paid. But psychologists get paid the big bucks to figure the, a lot of that out. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Well, you, you uh, have a lot of ideas and concepts and thoughts there. So... <laughs> Um, I mean, you, you touched on forgiveness and you touched on, uh, forgiving others and forgiving self. I think everything you said, um, and you kind of said it when I was thinking about this, I, I tend to think a lot in terms of, so what? I don't know if that makes a sense, makes sense, but like, oh, it's important or, or why? Oh, or so the way that would look is, oh, I learned how to forgive somebody else and I learned how to forgive myself. So what? Or you should, you should forgive others. Why? And so I think you mentioned at the beginning, you know, I ask questions a lot and I, I think Questions are important, especially the right questions, because that leads you hopefully to the right answers. And e, but I think, you know, you kind of mentioned happiness and it kind of circled back to the importance of forgiving others and forgiving yourself because you can't truly be happy. You'll have these blockages, which then, which then I, I, I have, um, 
I have thoughts in terms of with my own life and people in general, you have different cultures. Even think about the culture of Christianity or, or the ideas of masculinity, even because those tend to change from period to period, age to age, culture, culture to culture. There are some kind of universal concepts and ideas like the concept of forgiveness is pretty much universal throughout all time. I think every every age, every culture has a has thought about it, addressed it, seen it as important, um, maybe for different reasons. And but even the idea of okay, well, if you forgive others, you forgive yourself. It helps you to be happy. And sometimes, you know, I, I think that goes back to the question. And I do think this for a specific reason. I do think it's important for people to be happy. But the reason I said, well, why is it important? And I mean, I think for a variety of reasons, even if you just believe, well, this life is, is all you have and then it ends. Well, why not make the most of it? Everybody, everybody has an innate desire to be happy. So it's like, okay, how can I be happy? And it's very interesting because uh, Tony Robbins actually, you know, different people have different ways of being happy. Tony Robbins actually has uh, a happiness method. He has recently cho- said he has chosen not to be unhappy. And so if he starts to be unhappy, he basically changes his state, goes for about two minutes, and it has to do with gratitude. Um, and he has this whole system. One thing I have started to hear more about is the idea of gratitude and that being happy. And I think that's also maybe a a key to forgiveness. Um, All of these tend to inter, all of these ideas tend to interrelate. But um, so right now, I think uh, of everything you said, but oh, then so in terms of why is happy, why is happiness important? I think I think twofold. I do think that the things, if you, I believe in uh, um, an afterlife or the continuation of life that's not on this earth in this world, that it's uh, unified uh, to God and that there will actually will be a new body that's different, isn't necessarily physical like this one, but there will be a, not just this ethereal uh, corporeal sense, but there will be a some type of physical aspect or different type of physical, but uh, I think that carries over. Um, and so I think it's important. I think it's also important in this life. And there's a fairly new concept that I have in the sense of, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I am a Christian. And so with that, I believe in a God who that has always existed has never not existed is all powerful, uh, all knowing, is er- ever present everywhere, and he he exists in um, three persons that interrelate, and that also he relates to us in, in that way. Um, but this is a concept that I heard recently, and it's not just Christian. I mean, it's it could be Hindu and Hegelian philosophy, but the idea of God, he doesn't add to himself by creating us. And you've heard, you know, God wanted to express his love, and I completely believe that. But this idea of God wants to experience 
the joy and suffering and everything actually in us and through us in a sense. And so, and he wants to like, the way I look at it is when we see our children having fun and being happy, it, it, it lightens up our hearts. And I think, you know, God, we call him father and we are like his, we are his children. We came from him. We are of him, just like our children are the closest representation of that. And so when he sees us happy, he sees us enjoying ourselves. That's what he's created us for is to be happy and to experience him. And that's when we're the most happy. And, and really, you know, in a sense, you talk about stories, you talk about the story of life, the drama of life. And, you know, you hear the story of how God created Adam and Eve, the first two humans. And um, those first two humans were, would walk with God in the garden and there was paradise. And, and however you think about that, there was that relationship there and then um then and we decided to kind of go away from god and try things on their own and be separate from him and that in a sense started all of uh people from from there on having this idea of oh i'm going to live and be separate uh from god um and since then you've had people say oh god doesn't exist that's been a very small small percentage but almost i mean 90 plus percent of people throughout history have had this idea of God exists, no matter what kind of concept they had of God. I think that's very telling and very interesting. So I think that um, happiness is important. I think God likes it when we're happy. I recently heard this week this idea of uh, God comes to a person and he said, he says, how are things going? And the person says, well, you know, uh, he said, how do you like the animals that I created? Oh, well, you know, I'm kind of scared of them. They bark, they're annoying. Um, okay well how do you like the trees oh well you know i mean that one has these four bends in the you know different branches bending different ways and it blocks my view and and i don't know about that and and this is kind of all really kind of back to gratitude and happiness as well but then he comes to another person and says how how are you enjoying life oh i'm enjoying life so much it's so beautiful and I'm so thankful. He's, oh, really? So what do you think about the animals? Oh, they're so diverse. And some of them are really strong and they're interesting and they help do different things. Oh, and what do you think about the trees? Oh, they provide oxygen. It's, it's perfect. And boy, look at those different branches that are bent in different ways. It's so unique and interesting. And, um, the, you know, the question when I heard that was, you know, who is God really going to want to hang out with more? <laughs> who, you know, who is he going to appreciate? And, 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 who are you going to more? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, and so you talk about uh, forgiveness, and, and I don't even really thought about how forgiveness and gratitude and happiness are all interrelated. But I think that is important. I don't think you can have forgiveness without gratitude, and I don't think you can, you can have gratitude. Without forgiveness. I don't think you can so, have without both of them i look at it like my wife cleans the house differently than i do she loads the dishwasher differently than i do she does she does she does things in a different (laughs) order than i do (laughs) yeah well that's 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 where gratitude comes in and it's it's crazy because gratitude 
is sometimes forgiving people for doing things differently, for making the trees differently, for valuing shade versus sunlight differently, for, for you know, making the animals, you know, different. It's just one of those things where gratitude is almost like forgiving people for not being like you or forgiving the world for not being custom made for you. You know, forgiving once you get past that and you forgive, then you paves the way for you to have gratitude and say, actually, I'm happy that my wife actually loaded the dishwasher and now I don't have to do it. Or, you know, at least the house is clean. Look how clean the house is. I, I could have a wife that doesn't clean the house, you know? And, and so if you, once you can forgive people and circumstances for not being the way that you would have them be, then you pave the way for gratitude. And, and that was the whole thing. It's uh, in the garden of Eden. That's always been a very fascinating story, which by the way, the interesting thing is Moses was raised by Egyptians. He didn't study in Judaism. He studied Egyptian spirituality. That was a part of his culture. So when he wrote, you know, his or put together the five books of the Bible that he's responsible for. Um, it, it, a lot of it was, was spirituality that wasn't original. I mean, you hear about the great flood in every culture. The world was, you know, covered with water. Um, that, that wasn't a new idea. That wasn't an original Jewish idea. Um, kind of like going back to um, the, the three wise men who visited baby Jesus, not Jews, right? They were Zoroastrian, more than likely, uh, from the East. And, uh, you have the, the, no one really owns God, right? That, that's, the, the three wise men kind of prove that. The, the God was not owned by the Jews. The wise men saw the star, and they knew that something special was going to happen, and they followed it to baby Jesus, and and the reason that was even possible is because God wasn't owned by the, by Judaism. Um, in the same respect, he wasn't owned by the Egyptians. What are they? The oldest story in the Bible is uh, Abraham. Um, I believe I might, I could be wrong, but his father made, they had the business making idols. Well, who were those idols for more than likely Hindus, because Hinduism is the oldest religion on record. And so, you know, Abraham heard this voice of God telling him to go. And, uh, you know, that that's the whole origins of Judaism. And uh, so you, this is the most interesting thing. It, it allows you, you know... That's that's kind of what I can appreciate about Catholicism. It's very open. I remember Pope John Paul, when I would go to, to my church at the time, Calvary Chapel, Pope John Paul was getting all this like um, ridicule from the from the church because he, you know, was friendly with other religions and he crossed over those barriers <laughs> In uh, a lot of the Protestant churches didn't like it at the time. 
deeply appreciate about Catholicism. They're they're open to other people's stories. They'll they actually listen. <laughs> um, they're not closed minded in, in in that regard. And uh, but the story of in the Garden of Eden, yeah, uh, there was doubt. The first thing that happened that steered mankind in the wrong direction, according to that story, was doubt. Doubting love. God's just trying to hide something from you. So what did that do? It created a grudge. So suddenly Eve in the story says, hmm, okay, well, I'll eat the fruit. If that's the case, if God's just trying to hide something from me, he doesn't want me to be like him. And uh, that was the fall of mankind. And I think doubting love, love always wins. It doesn't matter. You're going to get your heart broken over and over in life. But it doesn't mean that you should stop loving. It doesn't mean you should, should stop, you know, talking to people and establishing relationships with people that grudge that unforgiveness that first heartbreak if you let that determine your destiny you're going to carry that grudge forever and you're never if you're single you're never going to go out on another date or you're it's going to take forever for you to go out on another date um but that the story of of in the garden of eden was amazing because their identity was in God and questioning God's love is what turned everything in the wrong direction. And, uh, and they were suddenly ashamed of themselves, which is like having a grudge against yourself. You look in the mirror and you're naked and you're like, Oh man, I'm, I feel ashamed. Right. And that's what created the need for forgiveness. I think the first act of forgiveness was when God put clothes on them, <laughs> like real clothes. It was, it was, I forgive you. Let's not have a grudge. Let's keep this story going. Even, even though it's, sh you know, shifted in a different direction. Um, but even sometimes after we do good things, we have grudges like Jonah when he went to Nineveh and he didn't like those people, but he finally, after being swallowed by a whale and forced to go back, he had to save people he didn't like and he had a grudge against. And then even after this great act of saving this civilization, he's sitting under a tree bitter about the whole thing because he had to save people he didn't like. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, so, yeah, there's, there are so many stories, so many stories about forgiveness. And I think most people, when they hear stories about forgiveness, opens their hearts because it resonates with our souls. And the greatest story of forgiveness is the story of, uh, Jesus, right? I mean, it's like, okay, let me show you how much I really forgive you, what I'm willing to do to forgive you and, um, and to make things right. 
um, you know, him, him coming to us to become a man. It was that important that God became a man to live a man's life, to be among us, to dwell with us, to relate with us, to bring us into unity with him. So, and we've kind of talked about how forgiveness is important for individual happiness. And I think the reason for that is because we are only happy when we are one with God and we're one with each other because every person is from God and of God. And so um, when we are divided among ourselves, we're really kind of dividing. And it's not like God is you or you are God in a complete sense, but you are a child of God. You are from God. You are of God. And so... And, you know, Jesus says very clearly, he tells the story about the two servants, the one that was forgiven more than he could ever repay, and the other servant that owed that servant a a small sum, and that servant had the other servant thrown in jail. And and Jesus in that parable says, if you're not going to forgive other people, God will forgive you. And it's in the sense of you're basically, if if you refuse to forgive somebody else, you can't be one with God because you can't be one with with um, your brother or sister. And so we're all united and intertwined. So we can't have individual happiness if we're not united to the source of happiness, which is God. It's impossibly happy when you're of God and from God, but separated from your source, you're from God uh, in any way. And the, and the more you're separated, you separate yourself, the more unhappy you're going to be. Um, so I think that's a pretty compelling reason as to why it's important to forgive. Um, I think forgive, you know, we talk about forgive yourself, forgive others and not like God really needs forgiveness, but I think from our perspective, we in a sense need to forgive God just for ourselves. Not that he's done anything wrong, but at least in my life, I've seen, I've, I've held grudges, Like I've blamed God for things. And in a sense, it's like, you know what? He, he's in control of everything. He can do whatever he wants. So if it's not the way I want it to be, then I'm unhappy. But that's coming from my perspective when I balance it out with, you know what, I have to trust God, not, not be like you even trust myself and, and be this, you know, I have to trust that God, an infinite source of goodness and love, and he wants what's best for me. So, I mean, people can decide whether they think the why of forgiveness is, is um, compelling or not to be happy, to be united. Um, I think it's pretty compelling. But let me ask you this. So I think the why case is pretty strong. What about the how? How do we forgive God? How do we forgive ourselves? How do we forgive others? Yeah, that's the that's where the story comes in. What do you you know? Well, they say the term is holding a grudge. They say people are so addicted to holding on to things. Sometimes trying to rip somebody's grudge out of their hands is not only impossible, it's dangerous. You know, there are people out there who don't want to forgive and it doesn't even have to do, it doesn't have to do with their capabilities. They're completely capable of forgiving, (laughs) but their pride, their ego, they don't want to let go. There's this story. That's not a small thing. Right, right. There's this narrative in their head. They keep going back to the divorce 25 years ago, right? (laughs) Like it was yesterday or they you see people like this at the bar drinking their sorrows away. They keep going back. 
it's like their minds and going in a circle and then over and over again, they're it's like stuck in unforgiveness. It can't get beyond something. It, it is, it's, it is impossible for some people to be coerced or talked into forgiving. And for those people, there isn't a magic recipe. It's their grip. It's only their own grip that keeps them in that state. And there's nothing anyone can do. They're just going to die in that state. Unfortunately, to me, that's kind of the closest thing to hell. That is, that is eternal separation in some case, uh, in some ways. They've lived their entire life separated, sitting at a bar, drinking their sorrows away because they refuse. They don't want to forgive. They just don't want to. And uh, for those people, there is no answer. Um, maybe a mirror. That's not just the sitting at the bar. There's all kinds of examples. It could be the successful businessman who's just lost in work. He hates certain people from his past, his life or whatever, and he's just involved in work. And he, he maybe holds all kinds of grudges. Work can be the um, husband, former husband, former wife, or married husband and wife who hold grudges against their spouse because they've been hurt so many times or they've been betrayed or whatever and they haven't let it go. Or the child that has been hurt by parents, maybe is now an adult, maybe not. I mean, it's not just the person sitting at the bar, right? Right. So you have the, those folks like, you know, we, we talk about the Garden of Eden and, you know, whether you're a Christian or not these stories are metaphors that can be greatly helpful so why was jesus a man who hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and the religious people despised him for it right he was a light a man who could walk in a room with no grudge zero what is a guy like that like, I feel like if I could get to a point where I wake up every day and I deal with my own mess and my own grudge and I can get beyond that and forgive and get to the next level of gratitude, I'm, I feel like I could be the kind of person who is a light, who is salt, who can walk in a room and, and influence. Salt is the influence. Light is that revealing revelation it's like i could see you know all of a sudden you're the kind of person you walk in the room and other people can see their lives in the, in the more clarity so to get to the point where you could be like jesus in that respect these tax collectors these sinners these prostitutes these people who were rejected by society for some reason they felt comfortable in his presence, were as the religious people of his generation were m most uncomfortable in his presence. They didn't want to be in his presence. They wanted to bring him down. And I feel like the the secret to to happiness and to forgiveness is if you're not the person who could sit down alone and and meditate or pray or observe your own self your, and observe the own your the plank in your own eye then 
your greatest hope is somebody else coming into that room to be a light. You know, that, that Bible verse that talks about where two or more are gathered. Yeah, you I know, need to, you know what? I, I don't I hate to interrupt, Josh, but I think everybody has the ability to sit and meditate and pray and be one with God. Everyone has that ability because we're all from God and of God. That's what we were created for. We've gotten away from it. And I'll say this, and, and the reason I'm interrupting you is because I hear that a lot, especially the Christian, oh, I witness, I'm a light, and or he was a light. And, and you know what? And, and I worked at a ministry where, I mean, you had missionaries there, and I'm like, and these people thought they were, they, th- they thought they were doing God's work. They were the light. They were, and I'm like, you know, and I'm, I, I started to see it more as like, you know, you're kind of blind leading the blind into a pit. <laughs> and, right. and so from my own perspective and maybe just my own clouded vision, I, I don't think, I think, I think people can get, catch glimpses of light if they open their eyes and they can, but I don't think there are a lot of people that I'm not sure that I don't think there's anyone like Jesus, but I don't think there's many people that are like that on a continual, consistent basis. I think we can hear stories about some people like that and like Gandhi, maybe mother Teresa. And it's funny to hear different stories about some of these people. But the reason I say is because I think if people go looking for other people, I think they'd be just disappointed 99.999999% of the time and they're just going to be stuck. I think the best thing to do is to, you know, whether you start with one minute or five minutes or however long to sit with, actually, as that lady said, that's why I asked, to sit with it, um, to go back to, if it was an event, to deliberately choose to feel the pain if you need to for the first time, to embrace that so you can move through it instead of just suppressing it. That's why I want to interrupt because I think that's really the key. And I think if you go looking for other people, it's it, it's going to be a one in a million, 10 million, billion chance that someone's going to be able to really help you out of that. I think you need to sit with yourself and with God. Right. I And that you're like the dot of my eye. You're like the cross of my T. And I, I, I agree 100%. Even to this, even to the extent that Jesus himself would leave to go be alone, right? <laughs> Which is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Bible. When I when I used to study the Bible, the teachers would always say he was Jesus, and he still needed to go be alone. And I completely agree. And I I actually feel like. I've met some of those folks. That's one of the reasons why I also about the Catholic church to identify saints. And instead of to act like they don't exist or there's nobody that good, <laughs> there are people that are that good. They're just rare. You don't find them very often, but, but even in, in Buddhism, even in Buddhism, there are, there is a belief that when you do reach nirvana, you if you have a choice, you can come back as a teacher. I believe they call it a bodhisattva or something, but um, you can come back to the world as a teacher to help others, some, something like a saint. Um, and 
that's where some of the greatest teachers in Buddhism came from were, were uh, people who were enlightened and they came back and they, they, they taught people, you know, and, and I, I look at it like uh, my goal as a person is to, is to be the kind of person who can walk in the room and be a light and be salt and, and uh, to be a spiritual father in some ways to other people, to the bullies at the roller rink, <laughs> which some of the most annoying kids, right, that are, that are uh, judged by some of the other adults. It, it took a while. Some of them, it took like to befriend them because they didn't trust me. They, they thought I was just like everybody else or whomever's done them wrong in their life. And, but some of them after a long time came around and I, I'm, and it's not that I, all I do is love them. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I just have a good time and skate with them and goof around with them. And, and, uh, if I needed to say something, they would probably listen, you know, but, I don't feel the need to to all the time. Sometimes I just feel like I need to be people's friend. And and uh, if there comes a moment of correction, then that moment will come. But um, but uh, that's kind of how I see Jesus. I remember when he said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. You know, I want to come eat with you at your house. You know, and, and that whole story about, how uh, privileged he felt like he's coming to my house. <laughs> you know, I've met people like that where you almost feel unworthy in some ways, but you feel honored by their friendship. Even you, I feel honored by your friendship, Mike. I do. And if there was one person who could always interrupt me, it would be you because you always have something good to say. You always have, even your critiques are good and, and making sure that I stay on track because sometimes I come across as saying I really mean it a different way. And, and uh, somebody like you to put me back on track keeps me from making a fool of myself. <laughs> well, I don't hear you make a fool. I, I don't remember the last time I, me- I can't remember a time I think, you made a fool of yourself, but um, maybe that's because I'm there to stop you. <laughs> yeah, because you're doing a good job. <laughs>